Students will go back and be dismissed, and then we'll continue on tonight um, in our Kingdom Person series. And so we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and last week we started into chapter 6, and we talked about the works of a kingdom person. And so those works weren't necessarily good deeds or um, doing things for other people, but the works of righteousness we saw were actually acts of worship. We discussed uh, giving alms to the poor, supporting those uh, that are in need. And so James says in his letter that this religion, uh, pure religion, is to keep a pure tongue and also to support the widows and the orphans, those who are in need. And then we talked about praying, how we were to go to the Lord and uh, submissively ask for provision, giving him adoration and seeking out uh, forgiveness and protection. And then we ended uh, talking about fasting. And so the point last week was to talk about how we are not to do things to fulfill ourselves or to make us feel good or to make us um, be seen by others, but instead to do things without being seen or to do them in secret so that the Father who sees in secret will give you a reward and that your reward will be in heaven. And so Christ here, right in towards the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, pivots in the, when he's speaking about the reward that you have in heaven, and he now comes to the matter of treasures, that treasures of our heart, and what we treasure, what we value, is where our heart lies. That's where our God is. And so tonight we'll be discussing about material goods versus spiritual blessings. So we will be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse, starting in verse 19. After we just finished Matthew 6, 1 through 18, about um, different forms of worship. And so let us go to the Lord again in prayer and ask for his blessing and wisdom as we go through this text. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, we can come to you humbly, that you would just humble our hearts and, and give us discernment and understanding, that we can examine ourselves to see where our heart lies, that when we uh, go through this text that your son Christ Jesus perfectly uh, delivered as the Sermon of the Mount, I pray that you would um, let us really examine to see are we kingdom people, are our treasures in the kingdom, or are they of this world? Lord, I pray that we would honor you and glorify you, that we would set our affections on you, that we would value you and seek you as the pearl of great price, the, the treasure, the spiritual blessings from you, and not things of this world. And I pray also that we can look to you and not be anxious, but instead trust in you. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So let us go ahead and read from verse 19 to verse 24. And then after we uh, go through this text, we'll continue on and finish off the chapter with verses 25 through 34. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The first point that we're going to discuss is this first section where Christ is saying that where our, treasure, where our treasures lie, our heart lies also. He begins saying, after finishing in verse 18, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And so everybody's minds, as he's focusing on seeking reward and seeking um, blessing and seeking um, accept, well, accepting or um, that God would bless you, everybody's mind was on what do I value as my reward? And so he turns and goes because Christ knows our hearts perfectly. And so he comes straight at our hearts and says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So we're not to store up treasures in, on this earth, but instead to store up treasures in heaven. So he comes in and he's, he's showing you that your desires and what you desire, what you value, what you esteem is essentially what you worship. That if you esteem things of this earth, that you esteem the things that are um, temporal, as he mentions, that moth, your clothing being eaten away, rust, your, <laughs> I, being in Pennsylvania, we know that rust does corrupt, that rust comes and destroys our cars, our vehicles, uh, and if we have gold, if we have silver, it tarnishes. That because of sin, decay comes in. And because of sin, things of this earth are temporary. And so he also says that there's dishonest people who come and steal. That, there, that even the heart of other men coveting what others have comes in and steals. So he says that we're not to store things up here on this earth. This is a warning about coveting worldly riches. I'd like us to go to the book of Ecclesiastes in, verse, in chapter uh, 2. And as we go there, we're going to discuss how Solomon was looking at all of these things of this world. He was contemplating and he was looking at his life, how he stored up himself treasures on this earth. And we're going to see how he, what he says about this, how, how he came to wisdom and found that these treasures on earth are vanity. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourselves. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I made great works, I built houses, I planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which water of the forest, or that to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions and herds of flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, 
in the many concubines, the delight of children of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, it all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon came and he saw everything, everything that his eye saw that he desired, he took for himself. He had all sorts of earthly possessions. And of course, at this time, wealth was often through cattle. And Abraham himself was a wealthy man with tons of cattle. And so with Solomon, he says that anybody before him in Jerusalem, he has more than anybody else. He stored up himself treasures on this earth. He looked to make his heart glad. He was examining himself in all of this. He's finding what will satisfy my heart. In verse 1, he says, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. He's trying to fulfill his heart and satisfy his heart with earthly possessions. He had great works. He built houses. He planted vineyards. He had all sorts of wondrous things that he built up for himself. And he looked at it, and it still gave him his heart no lasting pleasure. He had male and female slaves. He had servants. He had servants born in his house. He bought servants. He had great possessions of herds and flocks. And he had more than anybody before him in Jerusalem. And he gathered up silver. He gathered up gold, the treasures of kings and provinces, and he got singers. Not even a song could bring joy to his heart. He got to the point of seeing that nothing on this earth will satisfy lastingly. It, nothing will give his heart the pleasure that he was seeking. He says that he was chasing after wind. Everything was vanity. And that there's nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon realized that chasing after the wind, fulfilling his, filling his pockets, filling his pastures, filling his cities, did nothing for him. And we see also at the end of this, this book that he calls us to fear God that we're to look to God, and that's where we find satisfaction. Solomon discovered that when he put his treasure and his heart in this treasure of this earth, there was no satisfaction. He sought pleasure in this world. And so how often do we look after things of this world? We go and we think that this job will be better and this will bring me uh, purpose. This job will bring me satisfaction. Or if I just get another car. This car, you know, we know that Jesus said that rust corrupts. I've found that out. I'm going to get a new car. Ten years later, this car rusts. And it doesn't bring satisfaction. Building up great houses, having a big family. And of course, these things in itself are not bad things. These things in itself are, could be blessing and used. But when we store up and we value them as our treasure, 
we find as what Solomon found, that it is all vanity. And so Solomon saw and understood what Jesus is preaching here, that these things would not last. These things would die off. These, uh, the houses will fall down. The plants will die. And so we can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, when Paul is, is exhorting the Corinthians to look to Christ, he says that we do not look as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We know that there's rust, moth, there's thieves and robbers that come in and take away. And so all of these things of this earth are fleeting and temporary. But Paul calls us, as Christ is calling us, to store up our treasures in heaven. That we would look to Christ and look to God for satisfaction. So back to Matthew 6. Verses, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So what is this that we can store up for ourselves in heaven? Well, as Christ mentioned in these, in about alms, about praying, and about fasting, that seeking after worshiping God we will store up ourselves rewards in heaven. But also, what can we do here on this earth today to find value in what God has given us? Well, we know that there's something that God has given us that is eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 8, while talking about God's word, Isaiah says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever that we can store up for ourselves treasure by storing up the word of God in our hearts, by storing up and valuing what God has given us because it is eternal and it helps. It's profitable for all things. But when we store up things on this earth, they fade away and they're temporary. Let us go to Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. And we'll see a story that Christ reads that about another foolish rich man, as Solomon was. Verse 13. The parable of a rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store up my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There's two warnings here that Christ, that Christ is giving. One, that we're not to be covetous about other people's things. And two, we're not to trust in our own riches. We're not to trust in what we have. For we don't even know if we have tomorrow. God comes to this rich fool and says, this night your soul is required of you. But the man was trusting 
in his goods. Just like the Gentiles, we see uh, throughout the Old Testament that they would say, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. But this man wasn't thinking, tomorrow we die. But he was saying, I'm going to live my life to the fullest and relax and not be anxious or not be concerned about anything because I trust in myself and I trust in my riches. And so this is in the account in Luke of the Sermon on the Mount where then he continues on, Christ continues on about not being anxious as we'll get there. But in Matthew 6, Christ continues after talking about where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So we're to store up our riches and our treasures in heaven. So what we desire and what we have pleasure from, what we love and what we focus on, what we give energy to, and what we spend our time with, that is the indicator of where our heart is. And the example that we saw was this man who said, I have so much that even my barns won't hold what I have. So I'm going to tear down my barns and build new ones. I'm going to get a new model of a barn and silos. I'm going to fill them up because I can live the rest of my life without worry. See, this man's values, this man's heart was in this world. He looked at his life here and thought, I love this life. But we know that if you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life in this world, if you hate your life in this world, for Christ's sake, for Christ's name, you will have eternal life in heaven. Christ continues on after speaking about where our heart is and continues on about a singleness of purpose. In verses 22 through 23, Christ says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so Christ is speaking about what our focus is on, what our purpose is. He uses again for a second time this analogy of being filled with light. We saw in Matthew 5 saying that you are a city on the hill. You are the light of the world. And that we are to be set up on the hill and doing good works so that people will glorify the Father who is in heaven. That we are to let our light shine. This is that as we are kingdom people, we're not to keep the light, which is Christ, in us underneath a bushel or underneath a basket. But instead we're to live proclaiming his truth, not hiding the love and mercy, but instead being a kingdom person out in the world. As Christ continues on in the Sermon of the Mount, he continues to have this vast, uh, this, this, this great divide and indifference. He says that there's those who are in the world and those who are in the kingdom. And they're not alike, but they're very different. That they who are in the kingdom are the salt of the earth. They who are in the kingdom are the light of the world. So Christ comes back and talks about being filled with light. And so in the King James Version, it reads that if your eye be single, if your eye be single. Other versions say if your eye is clear and... This in the ESV says, if your eye is healthy. And so at first that didn't make much sense to me, but then uh, Pastor Phil helped work it out with me. And I didn't think much about this because I still have my vision. 
But as we grow older, we start to get cataracts. We get things that are blocking our eyes. We have things that come in and distort our vision, makes us see dimly. And so as the, the eye gets covered, the light that comes into your eye lessens. And so Christ is saying that if you have healthy vision, if you have clear vision, that your eyes are open and not blind, and we're looking and focusing on what? Well, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that if we focus on things above, if we focus on the things of heaven that are eternal and not the things that are temporary. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2, Paul writes that if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. We're to look to Christ, look to the things that we value, in, that we're to focus on heavenly things. We're not to be worldly-minded, but instead heavenly-minded. And so there's a conditional statement here in Colossians 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. This is after chapter 2 where he says that as you have received Christ, so walk in him. There's a command for us to walk in obedience unto God as he has made it possible through his spirit. And then he calls and says, if then you have been raised with Christ, if then you are a kingdom person, if you are poor in spirit, if you are mourning over your sin, if you're meek, if you're hungering, thirsting for righteousness, for his name's sake, if you are uh, a peacemaker, if that you are all of these things that Christ describes as the characteristics of a kingdom person in the Beatitudes, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, if indeed you are that, if you are a converted, born-again individual, a citizen of the kingdom, you need to focus on the kingdom. Don't focus on the world. Don't focus on the troubles of this world. Do not focus on the riches of this world. Do not store up yourselves treasure. And so that clear-mindedness, this clear vision, is only given by God clearing our eyes, removing the scales from our eyes. As Paul went from being Saul to Paul, his scales fell off. As we sing in John Newton's song, I was blind, but now I see. Just as the man who says, I don't know. I just couldn't see, and now I can see. And so God gives us spiritual sight that we can then be able to focus on the things that matter, the things of heaven, the things of the kingdom. So the eye, or your focus, your purpose, your mind, is where everything gets filtered in through. The eye is the lamp of the body. Of course, he's not necessarily talking, he's not talking about our physical eyes. But he's talking about what we view, what we focus on, what we value. And so if our eye is clear and does not have things that are stumbling blocks, things that are idols in our lives, things that are worrisome, things that are um, what we value, that are of this world that will be corrupted in due time. But instead, if our eye is fixed upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, then our whole body will be full of light. That our whole conversation, that our whole lifestyle will be affected by what we are focused on. If we're focused on things of this world, our lifestyle is going to reflect that. If we're focused on worry of what we're going to do with provision, if we're focused on 
being seen by others, as he mentioned. If we're focused on hating our brothers, if we're focused on the lust of the flesh, if we have blockages blocking our vision, clouding our vision, these distractions that take our focus from Christ. As Christ gave in the parable about the seeds, that there's three, four different seeds, and the one who rose up, there's thorns and thickets that came around and choked out the life. Those thorns and thickets are the world's troubles. It's things that are temporary, are temporary, are light and temporary afflictions that we go through. And if we focus on them, our vision and our light and our body will not be there, but instead will be full of darkness. And so when we walk through this world being full of darkness, we can't comprehend the light. We can't look to the light. We can't walk, but instead we'll be stumbling. So this is a call, and he finishes this off in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if we were to have our vision focused on the gospel, on the truth, on the light that is the life, the life that is the light of man, who is Jesus Christ, he is the light of the he is the light of the world that then comes into us and reflects out. If our focus is on that, then we'll walk in the light. But if we walk in the darkness because our focus is on other things, we'll stumble. And so our vision must be singular, focused on Christ, on the kingdom, not of this world. He says that no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can insert this at the end. He can say, you cannot serve God and your career. You cannot serve God. You can live your career out. You can work for your career for the glory of God. But then your focus is on God, not finding satisfaction in that career. We know this uh, verse that is often misquoted, or sorry, we're not going to go there yet, um, but we're to look at what is this, these continual things that we're to be focused on. We see in 2 Timothy uh, 4.8, when Paul is talking about how he is coming to a near end, that he knows his life in this world is about done. He knows he's going to be uh, persecuted, killed, and so he talks about how he run, he ran the good race, he ran, he was steadfast in faith. And in verse 8 of 2 Timothy 4, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Jesus kept his, or Jesus was the focus on Paul's heart that he would run the race focused on Jesus and the righteousness and the crown that God would give him, the reward for being a steadfast servant. This wasn't always the case. Paul used to be focused on things of this world, reputation, uh, his own knowledge, his own um, stature in the community of the Jews. Philippians 3, 4 says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paulus goes on and says, you know, I can boast in what I have on this earth, but instead, in verse 8, he says, 
Indeed, I count everything as a loss. All of these worldly things, everything that he has ever earned, all of the times he witnessed to somebody uh, with the, the Torah and corrected somebody and said, you know, thou shall not do this. And every time he taught and every time he tithed and every time he uh, went to the temple and gave alms and every time he prayed, he would pray to be heard by others just as any other Pharisee would, just as anybody who is focused on the temporary world would. But he now counts that as loss because his eye became single, his eye became clear that he can then have his whole body full of light. Paul says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He doesn't stop at saying, you know, I have reason to be confident in myself, but instead he goes and focuses on gaining Christ, the reward he has up in heaven, the crown of righteousness. And through this, by being dependent on Christ, by looking at him, now of course this wasn't just something that Paul did on his own, but instead it was only by the grace of God that it got him there. In Philippians 4, verses 12 through 13, when talking about his experience, how he said, well, you don't necessarily have to give to me. Talking to the uh, church in Philippi. But he says that in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He can be sustained and focused on Christ, that he knows that Christ is the one that sustains him. And as we'll continue on in Matthew 6 about anxiousness, that when we look at the world and possessions of the world, we can either value them and worship them or look at that and say, how am I going to sustain or how can I keep myself? How am I going to have food and drink? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to uh, even get clothes? You know, school is coming up. How am I going to be able to get the kids new school clothes? And we look and we worry about all of these things because we look at trusting ourselves. So whether we exalt things and we value things of this world and we make them idols, well, either way, they're both idols because you serve them as master. They're your master if they rule over your life. So Christ tells us, as we'll continue on, to look to him rather than focusing on the things of this world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The master that you would be serving by serving the world is going after the pride of life. As Paul said that he once was, having confident in his own flesh. Or the desires of the eyes, like Solomon that said, everything I saw that I wanted, I took. All of these desires and pride is from the world, it's from the flesh, it's from sin. But things that are from the Father are eternal. So we must seek first the kingdom of, and his righteousness. So let us finish off this chapter by reading verses 25 through 34 in Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. What will you put on? Is, life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more, are you not more of value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan. 
And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He mentions some of the things that I've already mentioned, the things of Solomon, that Solomon toiled to have all of these earthly possessions, but he called it vanity. That the grass that's going to be cut down and milled up into flour and used for bread, that is going to be gone tomorrow. Even they are much more clothed. They are clothed more beautifully than Solomon ever was. Solomon boasted and said, I had anything, I, I had the best out of anybody in Jerusalem. But then Christ says, the flowers of the field, the lilies of the field, the golden wheat of the field was much more beautiful than Solomon was ever dressed. And that those, that man who said that I have all of these things stored up, I will eat and drink and be merry, that he thought he had what he wanted and he trusted in his own things. The birds of the air were fed better than him. And so there's two things that we can be uh, tempted to do, and there's many more, but the two things that Christ is bringing up is one, trusting what you have and trusting yourself, and trusting in the world or worrying, so worrying about what you don't have and trusting yourself. Either way, it is making you the one who you're trusting rather than trusting God. He mentions again what he mentions about the prayer that he taught the disciples to pray. He said that in verse 8 of Matthew 6, do not be like them as the Gentiles who speak many words, but your father knows what you need before you ask him. That before the words even come to our tongue, before the words even come to our lips, God knows what we need. As Psalm 21 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm not in need because the Father in heaven cares for his children. And so we're to seek first his kingdom and righteousness, not to be worried about toiling this world. Now, of course, we're not to just sit on the couch and expect our food to come into the fridge and just your, food, your fridge fills up. But we're to be diligent. We're not to be sluggards. We're to work with our hands that we might not be dependent on anybody else. But that means in a, in a way that we're not leeching off of somebody. But instead, we work with the ability God has given us to be good stewards of our time and our strength. But overall, we're not to trust in what we can do, but we acknowledge that it is God who has given us the strength. It is God who has provided our jobs. It's God who has provided any means that we get, whether it's Social Security or, or uh, salary or paycheck or anything that we get. It's all a gift from God and provided. The Lord gives and takes away. And so looking and understanding that God is the sovereign God, the father of the kingdom, and knowing that you're in the kingdom, you can trust in the king to 
provide for his people. So we must seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He's again saying that if your eye is healthy, if your eye is single, if your heart is focused on the treasure in heaven, that he will provide for us, that we won't have to focus on how can we get our next meal, but instead we see that God is the one who provides. In Matthew 13, 45 through 46, talking about the kingdom of heaven, Christ says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That when you see that nothing compares to the riches of Christ, that Christ in his kingdom, his righteousness, knowing that those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness will be satisfied, that if we as kingdom people are looking to our king as our provider, our righteousness, our king and our lord, our master, that we're not serving any other master, we're not committing treason by going out to the world and focus on the world, but instead we focus solely on his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be added to us. We're told not to be anxious. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Paul says that we're not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That instead of being anxious and putting our trust in ourselves or trust in other people, we go to the Father in heaven that knows what we need even before we ask him and pray and pray for your needs, but being grateful, praying in thanksgiving, knowing that it's the Father who gives, the Father who provides, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, that God will give us peace. Instead of just calming our minds or, or just saying, well, I'll take care of it, but you're still not sure, he gives you this peace that passes all understanding. It surpasses all understanding, and he will guard our hearts and our minds, that our hearts will be focused on the treasure of heaven, that our minds will be set on things above, so we're to look in dependency for our master, the king of the kingdom of heaven, who is Christ Jesus. James 4, 13 through 14, speaks of how Christ says in verse 34 of Matthew 6, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. James gives this warning. In James 4, 13 through 14, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go out into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you who do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life? For you are in mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're not to trust in ourselves and trust in the future, knowing or take it for granted that we have tomorrow. Today has its own troubles. Tomorrow has more troubles. But we're to be focused on the Lord's mercies that are new every morning, that are new this day. That he is the one who provides for us. He is the one who cares for us. That we can cast all our anxieties on him, for he's the one who cares for us. Not to be anxious, lacking faith. But instead, trusting in God and seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and so the treasure of a kingdom person is Christ Jesus it's it's God himself it's that the one who created us is the one who we should glorify and enjoy forever the one who has made us and saved us and reconciled us that we were dead in trespasses and sins but 
Through Christ Jesus, he has given us new life. And so we're to look at the one who has pardoned us as our value, as our treasure. That if our hearts are focused on Christ Jesus, if our vision, if our eye is healthy looking to Christ Jesus, if Christ Jesus is our master, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that he is the one who provides for us. And Job even knew this. All throughout the time, he said, it's the Lord who gives and takes away. He said, it's up to the Lord. And Paul saw this when he said that he found the secret to be hungry or to be full. That it's up to the Lord. But instead, he knows that he can do all things through Christ Jesus, through him who strengthens him, because he would trust in Christ. So let us look to Christ tonight, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this word that we have from Christ, that we can know that you know what we need before we even ask. Lord, I pray that you would uh, search our hearts to see if there's anything blocking our vision, that if our eyes are bad, if our eyes have things that are taking away our focus from you, I pray that you would remove them, remove the scales from our eyes, that our eyes might be healthy, that we would see the light and have our whole lifestyle be affected by your light, that is Christ Jesus. I pray that we can rest assured knowing that you are the Father who cares for us, that we can lay our anxieties down, give them to you, casting our cares to you, that we are to instead seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. I pray that as we continue through looking at what a kingdom person is, I pray that you would just increase our faith, that we can trust in you and your kingdom. I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us in person, and thank you for joining us online. Have a great night.